0: Then, Lord willing, as we approach this within the context of our series on the book of Matthew, a little bit different viewpoint going into it. Matthew chapter 4, and we'll read the first four verses, and tonight we'll just be introducing this first temptation. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. But on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Taking a couple of services on the Lord's Day to really <clears throat> just kind of introduce this section here, and we saw that there really is a real sense in which Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness is unique to him. In other words, I doubt if you're going to be taken up on a high mountain and said, throw yourself down. I doubt if you're going to be shown all the kingdoms of the world and the glories of them and have Satan in his own person say to you, fall down and worship me and I'll give you all this. We're not going to have those types of situations. More than likely, you're not even going to be led, quote unquote, led into the wilderness and fast for 40 days and 40 nights. So. In a real sense, Jesus' temptation is unique to him. However, there is a continuity with his temptation and our temptation. And that is, we are tempted, and I hope to see this, but we are tempted in the same general categories in which Satan is tempting our Lord. And of course, we learned that... We are to stand. We are to resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from us. And Ephesians six, having done all, stand. So we are to stand in opposition to the devil. We're to resist him by walking in the spirit, that is walking in the fruit of the spirit, thereby having on the armor of light whereby we can resist the fiery darts of the evil one. We also looked at the three labels or names that are given to this enemy of God. He's referred to as the devil. And of course, that refers to fundamentally someone who engages in slander. And the slander that the devil primarily operates in is slander against God. He perverts God, he perverts who he is, and his motives, and his actions toward us. In that sense, he is slandering the Lord, but also, since we're in Christ, we too can be slandered by people. So he's referred to as the devil, he's referred to as the tempter. You'll see that in verse 3, the tempter came to him and said... And, of course, to be tempted by the devil is to be enticed to improper behavior or to be enticed to transgression, sin against the Lord. And then he's also referred to as Satan. And the word Satan foundationally means adversary or enemy. And he is the enemy of all things God. All things in his person, all things in his creation, all things in his providence, and certainly all things in his salvation. He is God's enemy. And of course, lost people are God's enemy. For while we were enemies, God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet what? Sinners, Christ died for us. And so lost people are of their father, the devil, And the devil is the enemy of God Satan is and of course his seed is the enemy of God also and when we come to this passage and we begin to look at it this time when I have gone into the passage and looked at it I've gone into it really with a sense of hunger to really know what is happening here in this passage, not just on perhaps a superficial basis, but to really get underneath an understanding. But I've also had something which is unique to this time of my study, and that is fear. There really is a fear of entering into a conflict like this. Even if, from our perspective, we are entering into it as an observer, you've got the conflict of God in human flesh against, opposed, the highest archangel that God created. Now think about that. It's like having, it's like being the boss or a president, and someone on the board that's very dear to you rise up against you. This is God in His creation who created Lucifer, and he is the highest. And we think of that because Michael himself would not rebuke him because of this hierarchical uh, thing, order of angels, but he said, "The Lord rebuke you." And so here we have this conflict between an arch enemy of God, a tempter, a slanderer, the highest order of angels against the Son of God, taking on human flesh. And remember what Hebrews says, he became a little lower than the angels. So when he took on human flesh, he actually humbled himself As far as hierarchy is concerned, he humbled himself even lower than an angel by taking on our humanity. This is an awful conflict, and it is an awful conflict that not only did he enter in, but as I mentioned before, in the same general categories you and I enter into. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that we've already entered into conflict in these areas, in these categories, and we have failed. (coughs) And thanks be to God, He did not fail. Coming out of this baptism by John, coming out of the waters and the heavens being opened and God the Holy Spirit descending on him, and then God the Father's voice coming out of the heavens, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You almost get the sense or parallels, not exactly the same, of when Adam was created and he looked on all the things that he had created and he said it was very, very good. This is almost a similar type sense between the first Adam and the second Adam this new humanity that is here. And you can imagine Jesus himself hearing those words. And of course, John the Baptist heard those words. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, which is a quotation from the prophet Isaiah. God's quoting his own words to the Son of God. Now, there are multiple ways of looking at the setting of this temptation. And if you go into the commentaries and you start reading about this, there's all kinds of similarities that can be drawn out. Some people see a similarity between the fact that here's the first Adam, and where was he located at when he was tempted? In a garden. And Jesus is not in a garden. He's in a barren, as it were, God-forsaken wilderness. And so people have contrasted that in the temptation between Adam in the Garden of Eden and Christ in the wilderness. And not only was Adam in the Garden of Eden, but Adam was in a garden that was fully furnished with all good food. For him to eat. In other words, Adam was not lacking, was he? In that garden. And here Christ is. He's in a barren wilderness. And there is no food. And there is no what? There's nothing. There's nothing there. And yet, Adam fell and Christ didn't. And, folks, what that tells us is this as believers, whether you today are full, you go home and you have plenty in the refrigerator, in the freezer. You've got a freezer in the back and it's got all good food in it. You've got got a lot of food, right? You're fully provided for. Or whether you are barren and not only is there no food in the freezer and no food in the refrigerator and no food in the cupboards, but you don't even have a freezer. You can be tempted in the area of food. So, everybody, see that. Whether barren, whether hungry, or full, you can be tempted. <coughs> Adam was tempted because he had all kinds of food and fully provisioned, except there was only a tree he could not partake of. Now, think of that a tree. And how many people who are fully provided for will forsake everything for the one thing they think they're missing in their lives? Christ had nothing there in that wilderness. Some people see a contrast and a parallel between Jesus Christ and ethnic Israel. This is what I see in the passage. I think this is the primary thing in the passage. In John chapter 15 and verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And what he's referring to there is the prophet Isaiah chapter 5 when Isaiah says that God planted ethnic Israel like a vine and put him in a garden and nourished it and gave it nutrients and was expecting fruit but instead bore wild grapes. And Jesus says, no, I'm the true vine. And so you have a parallel there between jesus christ the true vine some might say the true israel and ethnic israel and of course ethnic israel failed and as we'll see they failed in all of these categories and so there are different ways and different venues in which to approach the passage here What I see primarily is that contrast between Israel and the true Israel, that is Jesus Christ. Because ethnic Israel failed in every one of these categories. You have the first temptation which dealt with bread. You have the second temptation which dealt with tempting God. And you had the third temptation, which dealt with their worship. I want us to look at these passages here just so that we have these categories in mind. If we're talking about food, I want you, we won't turn back to the Old Testament for this. We'll actually go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So let's take our Bibles and turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Israel was put to the test over bread or over food many, many times in their wilderness wanderings. And of course, how long did they wander in the wilderness? Forty years. And how long was Jesus in the wilderness? Forty days. There you have a correspondence there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and this is right in the middle of a passage of the Corinthians trying to argue that they could go eat food in a temple's idol. So the issue here is food. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes to them and says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. And what you'll notice here is you've got the word all repeated. Verse 1, all under the cloud, all passed through the sea. Verse 2, all were baptized, Verse 3, all ate the same spiritual food. Verse 4, all drank the same spiritual drink. So in a sense, that nation, ethnic Israel, all started out with the same privileges. They had the privileges of spiritual drink. They had the the privileges of spiritual food. They had the privileges of following Moses and Moses being God's representative and them being identified with Moses they all went through that miracle of the Red Sea, and they were all there under the pillar of cloud and the fiery cloud by night. Now look at verse 5. Nevertheless, even though they all started out with the same privileges, nevertheless, with most of them, those are sad words, isn't it? Most of them, God was not well pleased. In fact, they lost their what? They lost their lives. They were scattered in the wilderness over 40 years. And I don't recall the numbers, but... If our understanding of the the census, the number of people that came out of Egypt, I forget how many funerals per day Moses and them were doing. It was quite a number. It's a lot of people laid low in the wilderness. Was it because they didn't have spiritual privilege? No, they all had the same spiritual privilege. You here today, having been in the church for a while, You're all getting the same spiritual privilege. But what happened was, is that they failed in their working out of that spiritual privilege and obeying God. How many of them failed, verse 5? What's the text say? Most of them. isn't that fearful don't sit there and say that would never happen to me if you're saying that you you need to take heed lest you fall through your own spiritual pride we're the same flesh as ethnic israel How did they fall? Well, Paul brings out some examples and they all deal with food. And in fact, how did the first man fall? What was the subject of, guard, of Adam in the Garden of Eden? It was over what? Food. And so he writes here, First Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now these things happened As an example for us. So that we would not crave. And there's where the problem is. It's our desires. That we would not crave or lust or desire evil things as they also craved. Verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them. Because the people sat down to, what? Eat. Everybody see that? And the Corinthians were trying to argue that I could go to this temple, this temple's the idol's temple, and I could eat the food sacrificed to idols, and I'm not going to what? I'm not falling. I won't fall. Did Israel fall? They did fall. Or verse 8, let us not act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. And you go back and look at numbers and you'll find out that food is involved in this. (coughs) Verse 9, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed of serpents. Verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. What were they grumbling about? You remember? Not having the food that they wanted. This nasty manna that God was providing. And he repeats again, verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example And they are written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not what? Fall. And so you get the first category. The first category dealt with food. Second category was tempting God. Have you ever tempted God... You've been tempted, but have you ever tempted God? Well, if you study it out, you're going to nod your head yes. And I want you to turn back to the book of Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. I'm just going to give the summary statement here. Numbers chapter 14. And verse 22. This is after Israel would not enter into the land they came back and brought an evil report and of course you had two of them that stood and in verse 22 God says surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet you have put me to the test how many times 10 times and have not listened to my voice. Ten times. And folks, this is before the 40 year wandering in the wilderness. Ten times. Do you think that you're exempt or you just don't know when you do it? And yet, Satan comes to Jesus and he tempts him to put God to the the test. And he can tempt us to put God to the test. The third category is concerning our worship. And if you turn back here to Exodus chapter 32, you'll see what is probably one of the most amazing statements here. Was ethnic Israel ever put to the test about their worship? And you know the answer to that. Exodus 32 verse 1 And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled against Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So they gave their gold earrings and they gave their gold jewelry to Aaron. Verse 4, He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Is this dealing with their worship? And in verse 5, When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation Now, note the food that's going to be involved. Tomorrow will be a feast to Yahweh, to the Lord, capitalized. Were they tempted involving their worship? Did they fail or pass? They failed. Were they tempted when it came to testing God? They were. How many times? Ten times. And each time they what? They failed. And were they tempted in how they responded to when they had no food? The answer is yes. And did they pass it? No, they failed it. And Jesus, as the true Israel, as the true vine, as representative of His people, is going to enter into that conflict directly. And He's going to secede. Aren't you thankful? Now folks, that's what I'm saying, that when you come to this passage, and you're hungry to know What is being communicated here? And when you read and hear what's being communicated, and you realize that you're of the same flesh, and you are susceptible just like ethnic Israel was, and the chances, and if you think about it, of having our worship perverted of not responding properly to lack of necessity, of putting God to the test because He's not doing what we want Him to do, is a very real danger. And remember what Corinthians says, with most of them God was not well pleased. And we don't want that in our own lives. So that is fearful, isn't it? And our Lord is being led to be tempted in the wilderness, just like ethnic Israel was led into the wilderness, to be tempted in the same categories as they were. Not only do we see that parallel, but He actually answers from the mosaic law that was given to that ethnic nation. So we have a situation where Paul says, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. That in the upcoming days, we're going to find out exactly how his devices are. And they are deceitful. So, my approach as I come to here is to see a relationship between Israel and Jesus in this temptation. But my approach is not so much to walk away and say, all right, here's the categories, and here's how we answer. We answer with Scripture. I think that's a little superficial. What we need to do is examine the category. and then tried to examine Jesus' mindset when he quotes the Scripture. Everybody understand, there's a context behind that Scripture. There's a context that's formulating Jesus' thought patterns and what he's thinking to be able to give that answer to the evil one. So you might want to do a little work ahead of time and brethren in light of the fact that 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this is where the battle goes on. It goes on in our minds and we're to take captive every thought into the captivity and obedience of Christ. And this is what our Lord in his humanity is doing. He's doing exactly that. His shield of faith is up. Is it not? Now, this first temptation has a setting. And the setting of this temptation is human need. Human need. Is it sinful, let's answer this question, is it sinful to be hungry? No. In fact, God created our bodies that when we're really hungry for our bodies to communicate that to us in a language that we begin to understand, right? Now, we're going beyond appetite here. Okay, this isn't like, you know, you've had three full meals and you go home and you say, I'm hungry, can I have ice cream? No, that's appetite, okay? I'm talking about hunger. When you're hungry, when you've gone without food, and your body begins to, you know, the stores, or whatever our body is doing, our body begins to say, you need to have nourishment. Your body communicates that, doesn't it? It could be a gnawing in the stomach, right? It could be a strong thought. You need to eat. But your body is communicating to you in that, right? And Jesus himself is led up into the wilderness to be tempted, and he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Don't answer this out loud, but have you ever fasted? Have you ever missed a meal voluntarily? And your body's kind of in a habit. And so your body lets you know, you know, you didn't eat. (laughs) You're supposed to have breakfast, or you're supposed to have lunch, or you're supposed to have dinner, and you missed it. Well, a lot of people struggle just missing a meal. Have you ever fasted for a day... Have you ever fasted longer than a day? The longest I've ever fasted for spiritual reasons is somewhere around 10 days. And I'm gonna let you know that at the end of those 10 days (laughs) there's a time period where you're kinda okay. There's some physiological things going on in the body. But after 10 days, to quote this scripture, which isn't applicable, then I became hungry. And my whole body was saying, you need to eat. Now that's 10 days. How long did Jesus do this? 40. 40 days and 40 nights. How hungry, look at verse 2, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, now note this, he then became hungry. You think about the time that you've missed a meal or you've missed a day or you've missed a couple of days and think about somewhere along the line, then your body begin to communicate very acutely. You need to eat. And you multiply that. Because He has a human body like we have a human body, right? You multiply that for 40 days in Jesus' became hungry. And the word hunger here means to suffer pain because of no food. How hungry would that look like? And the fascinating thing here if you're looking at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2 where you got the word hungry this is the same Greek term that is translated in Matthew 5.6, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. <clears throat> this isn't like you have an appetite for righteousness. This is a pain, a hunger internally for His righteousness to be worked out. Brethren, what we know with that is that then he became hungry, verse 3, and the tempter came. Note when he came, when he was hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. In other words, the tempter came when Jesus was brought to bodily need and human weakness. He's weak. (coughs) His body is in need of the necessities of life. Our bodies are material. And it needs food. And at that point of Jesus's weakness, the tempter came. Now, folks, this is when Satan comes, he comes in your area of weakness. Let me give you an Old Testament illustration. In Job chapter 1, God challenges Satan concerning Job. Job was wealthy, wasn't he? Job had a, a huge family. Job had everything under the sun. And Satan said, Job will curse you to your face. If you'll remove the hedge, he'll curse you to your face. And what Satan did before the temptation to curse came, he gave Job body blows. He lost all his wealth. (coughs) Would that be a body blow? He lost his health. Would that be a body blow? Then, then, Satan comes. His wife says to Job, Why don't you just curse God and die? When did the temptation to curse happen? After the wealth was gone, after the health was gone, then hits him with that temptation. And folks, that's when he hits us. It's at this point our weakness, exactly at this point of our weakness that the tempter comes and tempts us. And what the temptation involved were two voices. There was Jesus' natural needs that were crying one thing. His need was food, wasn't it? His body's crying out for food. That's a voice. The other voice was the Word of God. You've got two voices, our necessities, and then what the Word says. Now you may not know what the Word says about it, but the Word still says something about it. And of course, Jesus is going to pick the genuine reality of the Word of God. Folks, it's our weaknesses. It's when you lose your job. It's when you look in the cupboard and there's nothing there. It's when 30 years of having enough in your checkbook to pay your bills and all of a sudden you can't. It's when your health is taken away. It's when you become disabled. It's when you're in a car wreck. And people start saying in their heart, where's God? Do you hear the tempter? It's at that lowest point. Folks, do we realize that Satan did not come to Jesus and say, I have mercy on you, here's some food. Did he do that? He didn't come to Jesus in any shape or form to try to show compassion to Him. His need became the opportunity to get him to doubt his relationship with God, And to transgress. And that's what he does for us. He's not showing compassion. He's not providing bread. He's not showing mercy. He's not giving him understanding. All he's doing is giving him a deceitful suggestion to create his own meal which he had the power to do, didn't he? And listen, listen to the devil's care. Well, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. You know, I care about you. You've got the power to do it. Why don't you just do it? He is a deceitful serpent, isn't he? He appeared to Adam in the garden by caring. I care about you. You're missing something. You partake of this tree, you can be like the Lord. And folks, you'll have all kinds of counsel come your way. Of people who genuinely seem to be concerned about you, but it will be deceitful counsel. Basically, he tells him if you are the son of God, if you really, if you're really the one in whom God is well pleased, If you're really God's Son, then you have the power to make these stones bread. So do it to satisfy your own needs. To remove the weakness. And folks, you know, you know that God's people are made weak. Do you remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? It was an embarrassment to him. It was a humiliation to him. And the Lord's whole Paul, "My grace is sufficient for you." For my power is perfected in... Okay, now let's pause here. Do you see power in Jesus' response? My power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul makes this amazing statement. Paul says, most gladly then I will boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So I am content with my weaknesses. I am content with being insulted. I am content with being brought into distresses. I am content with being persecuted. I am content with obstacles and difficulties for Christ's sake because when i'm weak he's strong that's a strong man who makes that statement and even christ himself paul writes in second corinthians 13:4 for indeed jesus was crucified because of weakness yet he lives because of the power of god for we also are weak in Him, yet we will live with Him because of the power of God directed toward you. And you know what the one thing we don't want? Tell me, what's the one thing we don't want? Weakness. Weakness. Because weakness destroys our pride. It lays us low to where we have to depend on Christ. Now I want to conclude by turning over just a couple of chapters to Matthew chapter 6. And because of time, I'm just going to basically just read this section. In light of this temptation, listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 6 verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now look at verse 25. For this reason. Did you, did you, did you pick that up? You cannot serve God in wealth. Because of that statement, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. What you will eat, there's the food, right? Or what you will drink, nor for your body, as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? Because the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And folks, what's our background? Our background is Gentiles. What's the world out there doing today? Let's eat and drink Tomorrow we die. Don't be like that. Verse 32, For your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself, Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I would say, all of us say in our hearts, you know, today doesn't have enough trouble. I'm going to imagine some troubles that might come tomorrow, or the next day, or the next day, or the next year, or 40 years from now. I don't have enough troubles right now. Give me some more. And then we are fretful. We are not walking in the peace of God. We clumber our baskets with all this stuff. These worries that choke the Word. And we can even do it trying to justify it with biblical verses. Well, folks, did Jesus seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Yeah. Wasn't that His concern? The will of His Father? And Satan says, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, look at that. But, folks, I want you to note something. Is Jesus hungry? Yes. Was he tempted to feed himself? Yes. Look down at verse 11 of Matthew 4. Then the devil left him. And look at this. Look at this angels came and began to what? Now, you don't want to think to yourself, minister, like preaching. The word minister here refers to, in many cases, the serving of food. Did the Father provide? He did. And Jesus was content. To do the will of God for that day and that hour, not being concerned, and at the father 's timing, he provided him food and you know he could have turned made those stones into bread, he actually took bread and multiplied it and gave it to the five thousand. brethren, our God is faithful. <clears throat> Now, I'm like you. I don't like weakness. I don't like going through stuff like this. But it's only because of my pride and my independency and my desire to be self-sufficient that causes the problems. It's my sin. It's not God. It's me. And I'm sure that you have been brought into bodily necessities and been tempted to take matters into your own hands and not make your number one objective to know God in His Word and to follow what it says. May God keep us. We have a whole year 2024 ahead of us. May God keep us from trying to turn stones into bread, you don't even have the ability anyway. But boy, do we try to do that. Let's pray.